from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today I'm playing a telephone interview with Nabil Mahadam. Nabil was raised in Portugal but now lives in Stratford, Ontario, where he is pursuing a career as a singer, songwriter, and recording engineer. In 2006, Nabil graduated from Metalworks Institute with a diploma in audio engineering and music production. He has since started an independent music label in Kindle Productions and has been busy with writing and recording projects. I started the interview by asking Nabil where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. Uh, well, I grew up in, actually I was uh, born in Canada, in North York, Toronto. And I, I think we lived in Toronto for a few years and then we moved to Brantford, Ontario, for some reason, the memory of my childhood is kind of uh, vague, yeah. but I do remember when we were in Brantford, and there was a small community, and I do remember all, pretty much all the friends, and one of the people I, I really remember was, what was their name? It was uh, Karen and Ian Ferguson, and they used to do children's classes, and they used to always bring music to the community and to the feast, and... They're, st- they're still alive, <laughs> mm. and they just recently moved to London, Ontario, which is like 40 minutes away from where I live. I hope to visit them like next week, so I'm excited about that. But uh, no. it was a small community, and uh, there was a lot of music, so that was pretty nice. Yeah. But then when I was nine years of age, uh, my parents decided to pioneer to the island of Madeira. So... Pioneering is, um, in my understanding, is basically, I think it would be the equivalent to, like, missionary for the Christians, like going somewhere with the primary purpose of sharing the revelation, be it of Christ, and in this case, of Baha'u'llah. So it's kind of like you make that the primary, uh, you consecrate your life to that purpose and make the necessary arrangements to do that and go to a place where there's not many, or actually none, no Baha'is, and try to share the message, you know, the treasure that we've been given. So, And Madeira is in the Atlantic Ocean, and it belongs to Portugal, but it is autonomous. So they call it Região Autónoma de Madeira. So um, they're pretty proud of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of volcanic by Origin 2, and it has, I think, around 250,000 inhabitants, which isn't much, really. One of our cities here has, has that many people. <laughs> <laughs> we live there, and it's, and it's such a beautiful place. Like, I, don't, I haven't seen, like, in, in so many years of my life, I haven't experienced any place more beautiful than Madeira. I think it's called something like the Perula. I think it's Pearl, yeah, sorry. The Pearl of the Atlantic. 
and it's very touristic. Like a lot of people, tourists go there, and I think it's considered to be the place in Portugal where the quality of life is the best. I just saw that on Wikipedia today. <laughs> I tried to look up some stuff to to be able to share some things about Madeira. So, anyways, we we lived there for six years, and it was a big transition moving from Canada, where there's grass, where the roads are huge, going somewhere where I think the first thing I noticed was how narrow the streets were, like not even room for one car to go, but two cars would <laughs> would manage to pass by each other. And when we were, when we were driving, I always felt like we were going to fall off the cliff or the side of the road because the roads were so tight. At the side of every like road, there was a cliff like going down because it's kind of like a pyramid-style island. Like it's always going up mm. to the top. Now, how old were you, Nabil, when you went to Madeira? I was nine. And so you were there till you were fifteen. Uh, that's correct. And then when I was fifteen, we moved to mainland Portugal uh, to a city called Leiria, which is also very beautiful. And I had had the opportunity to go back, I think it was last year or two years ago. So mm. that was pretty nice. So, Nabil, um, t- tell, me, tell me more about Madeira as a, as a kid growing up there. What, what was it like? I mean, were there, a lot, were there a lot of people there? Were there, you know, what was school like? That kind of thing. I think the whole thing about an island is that it's kind of separated from in a way, civilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of takes form in its own way. They speak in a different way, and it's kind of like a lot of villages. People live the simple life, and it's very natural. Something that I couldn't or I wasn't able to appreciate as a child because everything, you know, all the foods were organic, and we were so close to nature, and life was so simple. Something that now, like, I I really, really value. And I look back, we used to have avocado trees in our backyard, and these avocados would just keep falling down, and I don't recall eating one of them, you know? Not even one. And nowadays, like, my favorite food is avocado, and we pay, like, what, a dollar twenty, a dollar sixty for each one. But anyways, that was one aspect of it, the nature and the simplicity of life. So you were somewhat resistant to going when you first got there. Yeah, it, it's always hard. It was always hard to leave friends behind mm-hmm. in a in a way. I remember <laughs> when we were saying goodbye. Like I never forget those moments in what was it Ryerson River Riverview in Brantford. Our friends were crying, but we were actually we were excited. We, me and my brother, we were excited to leave when we were making the change from Canada because it was such a different world. And my dad, my dad's a very, he knows how to make fun of every situation and make it uh, exciting. And he did that with us, and he kind of prepared us by trying to teach us the language before we went there using very interesting and funny <laughs> methods. So he got us excited, and we were actually excited to go on this adventure. 
But I think the hard move was going from Madeira to mainland Portugal because we were in our teens and we'd had we'd, we had made those strong friendships. Yeah, that that was pretty tough. Right, right. <laughs> so it's tough, but you know, you always let uh, make new friends when you move to a new place. So now, what did your father do on the island? On the island, he started off with, um, if I'm not. I recall properly, with a dollar-type store, like kind of selling everything, and bit by bit started upgrading. And I don't know how it happened, but he got into Oriental carpets eventually and started doing that. Now, your father and mother, based on your last name of Mahadam, uh, sounds like uh, they were Persian? That's correct, yeah. And, uh, A lot of people think I'm Arab. <laughs> because of Nabil. Uh-huh. So did your parents come to Canada from Iran, or was it a previous generation? What happened was, I think a lot of Persians, Persian Baha'is can relate to this situation. Uh, there was the revolution some 20-somewhat years ago. I think they just went to the Philippines to study. That's what they did, to study medicine. And what happened was when the revolution began, the parents, their parents couldn't continue to send out money to my father and my mother because they were Baha'is or something like that. So what they had to do is they had to leave Philippines and come to Canada. And my brother, I have an older brother, Mateen, he was born in the Philippines, and he's like two years older than me. That's it. They came to Canada and then from Canada to Portugal, and then from Portugal back to Canada. <laughs> so this was the yeah. so this was the 1979 Iranian Revolution, the Islamic Revolution. That's correct. That you're referring to. I know you're a musician. So when did you st- mm-hmm. when did music really become a part of who you are? I'd say like I made the choice. I made the choice of making music more than just a hobby. When I was 21 or 22, that's when I went to school for music production. But I I strongly believe that it happens way, like, um, from childhood. I think, like, the most important thing for anybody is developing an ear for music is the most important thing. Because if you want to create, if you want to be able to sing, if you can't hear, you know, properly, then... You can't do anything. So developing an ear is critical, and a lot of people were fortunate enough that their parents did expose them to music at a very early age. And just the mere exposure to music from the, you know, starting from the womb of the mother, so when they're out. So my, my, like my parents were both very musical, and they used to sing, like compose Baha'i songs. My mom would chant. They would sing together. My my dad played um, guitar when we were young, put us to sleep with guitar. And always having music in the Baha'i community definitely built the grounds, like the grounds for for music mm-hmm. eventually in the future for myself. Did you take up the guitar? I picked up the guitar, yeah. But first I picked up, um, what was it? Was it the violin? Yeah, I picked up the violin first, and then that didn't work out. And then I picked up the saxophone, and I loved it. 
But then classes were like 40 minutes away, and my dad had to go on business trips, so I had to drop that. And what I did was I sold the saxophone, and I bought a guitar and some other instruments. And what inspired me to get the guitar was my brother. So we both went to this youth symposium, or Baha'i youth um, symposium, where, like in... Like in Portugal, for example, the Baha'i community is still very small in number. Like I'd say back in the day it was like 200 on, on the sheets. Now it's probably more. But So we, we would have these national gatherings for youth to go to and, you know, build their identity and make friends in a happy and healthy environment. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one guy... Uh, Shahriar was his name, and uh, last name is Mazgani. He's actually pretty successful in the music business. You guys can check him out. So he inspired my bro to play guitar. And when my brother picked up the guitar and he kept playing at home, then I got inspired, and then I started playing the guitar. So. And, and how old were it, you, Nabia, when that happened? I was 15. It's important to, to note that Somebody always inspires somebody, and it's like a chain reaction. <laughs> so so you went to uh, high school in uh, mainland Portugal then? That's correct. And yeah. what, what was that like? That, that was one of the best experiences of my life, and I always wish I could do it again. It was that much fun. I wasn't a studious person. I would... The funny thing is with my high school... They had a, a, what's it called, a a level, like a floor dedicated to games. (laughs) So they had PlayStations, they had Nintendo 64s, they also had guitars for rent as well, so that's another, I'd rent the guitars all the time and practice. They had everything, they had pool, ping pong, uh, foosball, and soccer was was a huge thing in Portugal, so we'd play soccer for hours a day. So what I would do <laughs> is I'd spend a lot of time over there and I'd study very little and just manage to pass the different uh, subjects. Some, some of them I would excel and some of them I wouldn't, but I, was, I wasn't too worried about it and <laughs> things turned out okay. And the other thing was because I was different, Portugal isn't very multicultural yet. Uh, it's mainly Portuguese and, what would you call it, uh, Portuguese with African descent mm-hmm. um, because of uh, Guinea-Bissau or Cabo Verde and et cetera, et cetera, the other Portuguese colonies. So you don't have um, that many like Persians or other type of ethnicity. So the fact that me and my brother were, were just different made us special in a way. So we were always very lucky that we weren't, um, there was no bullying, there was no racism, there was no, nothing going on. It was just, we had a happy time. I really connected with my teachers too. That's something I'll never forget, the bond that I could have with the teachers and talk with them. And I had many opportunities to share the faith with them. And one of the teachers really influenced me because he would listen. He would listen to the challenges I had or things I wanted to share, and he he would include me in the teacher soccer games, which is something that 
you you wouldn't think they'd want to do, right? Teachers are get together and play soccer, and here he goes and invites this student to play, right? I had a, I had a great time in high school, and I yeah. would do it again <laughs> if I had the chance. And so then, after high school, you said you went to a music school. Not right away. After I came out of school, I went on a year of service. Did your family go back to Canada while you were in high school? They went back to Canada while I was on my year of service. Oh, okay. So why don't you explain what a year of service is? A year of service is, I'd say, generally a time in a Baha'i youth's life where we focus on service. And usually it tends to be between like finishing uh, high school and before going into university or college because it's just, I, I guess, one of the most convenient times to do that before we get involved in work and projects and the momentum of business. So it could either be service nowadays, service in in your own town, in your own region or country, but it's been very popular to travel and join a dance workshop, for example, which is what I did. It was called Diversity Dance Theater in Germany. And travel around and inspire people and ignite hearts through the arts, dance, and theater that portrayed social issues and brings about the awareness uh, to the people. Or you could, you know, go to any other community around the world and help with the education of children, the education of junior youth, or just do anything, like go anywhere around the world and just serve and get some real-life experience because knowledge is tested in, in the field when we actually do something. And in school, what, what we're mainly doing is just studying and learning theory. So it really opens, it's a good thing, you know, going out, checking out various cultures and meeting a lot of people and serving and getting a taste for what is it, what is it that we want to do in life. And sometimes, you know, minds are opened and we see things in a different way when we are exposed to so much. So in your case, Nabil, where did you go and what did you do? As I mentioned, I joined Diversity Dance Theater with one of my friends from Portugal, David Gens. So it was something I had never done and I, I wasn't a dancer and I still ain't a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just something courageous and fun we thought we'd do. So we went to Germany and we trained for like three to four weeks and we began our tour. We traveled through 10 different European countries and the dance workshop was comprised of 10 to 12, I think it was 12, uh, youth from all over the world. We had Canadians, we had Portuguese, we had Australian, a girl from Switzerland, we had Germans, we had one girl from Estonia. We had one from Greece, so all over the place, basically. It was a very diverse team, and I'd say one of the great things that we all learned was how do we all work together and be unified during this entire year and live so closely together and make things work 
you know, because we all come from different backgrounds, different cultures, and it all worked out. We had our challenges, but it all worked out, and we all became better people. What were some of the dances that you did? We did, um, some of the dances we did was the racism dance, which basically shows, or actually how racism is sometimes passed on to the children, like a virus. You know, the children are innocent, and they play with e- with each other, not not even noticing that the color of skin, for example. But then the parents tell them, "Oh, you shouldn't be playing with this, these these neighbors' kids and whatnot." So that's what it kind of shows. And then we did the abuse d- dance, which kind of shows how I guess you know in some families still abuse happens, the abuse of women by their husbands. What else did we do? The drug dance, the effect of drugs. We did some other stuff, the unity of religions. And I was so fortunate just recently, I taught for the first time at Eagle Arts Academy, and Laura Lee, one of the co-choreographers of all these dances, was like was there, obviously, because she, she's a director of the program. And it was so... It was so cool after so many years to finally meet her and to work alongside her. So that was a an honor. So after your year of service, you then went to school? After my year of service, I didn't go to school because I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I was attracted to education because during the year of service, I realized that education was the most important thing that was needed in the world. And it still is, because there is this simple way of seeing things, is that all the problems of the world are symptoms of an underlying disease, which is disunity. And until we are all unified, these problems won't go away, because Baha'u'llah says the well-being of mankind, its peace and security are unattainable unless and until its unity is firmly established. So once everybody is unified, these problems will go away. And then the other thought that would follow that is, how do we create unity in the world? Uh, Baha'u'llah also says that um, the purpose of justice is the appearance, sorry, appearance of unity amongst men. And then we're like, so how do we create just people in the world? It's through divine education. Although the school education and human education and scientific is, is very important, the most important that allows for the appearance of these qualities, these, these virtues within men, these gems, is divine education. So then I was like, divine, you know, like education is what we need. And I want to get into it somehow. But that didn't go through. <laughs> and I think just being involved in junior youth, the education of junior youth in children's classes, and teaching music production, it gives me a lot of gratification when it comes to that part of thing, like that part of the arena. These are Baha'i children's classes and Baha'i youth classes you're referring to? For the, for the children's classes, yes, but I think I do know that the junior youth classes are 
non-denominational, but mm. they do use the writings of Baha'u'llah in mm. them. And I think the main purpose is to empower junior youth to take control of their own lives in, in, the, in a very turbulent stage, which is, you know, adolescence, and understand it and also empower them to make a change in their community, in their neighborhood, and, yeah, give them the tools and the venue through which they can serve. Because we really, we underestimate, <laughs> as, as a society, we underestimate junior youth to the max. Like, uh, just at the, at the arts camp, there was a 13-year-old in my class, and I was blown away after every assignment, like, for, from the beat making, she blew me away, and then songwriting in, like, two classes, uh, she wrote an amazing song, and then after, like, when we were going to record, it was like, what? And all the, like, she was so perceptive musically. So I kind of realized the importance of education. That was a big awakening for me. But I kind of worked odd jobs around for, like, I think it was two or three years. So I kind of moved around. I did security. I did courier stuff. I worked in a fast food restaurant, A&W, one of the best in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I worked at Zeller's. I worked at, like, a, a bunch of these things. And then at one point, I decided that music was the way <laughs> for me. Nabil, how did that realization happen? Uh, the music thing? Yeah, how did that all of a sudden dawn on you? It was because three years had passed, and music was always a hobby, but then there was this always this thought, you know, be it from parents or from friends, that it's just a hobby, right? Music, that's what it is. (laughs) So it it was kind of staying as a hobby. But then at one point, I wasn't really aware of the production side of music. But, like, the artistic side kind of seemed vague, like, to make it as an artist. But then when I kind of got exposed to music production schools, and then I just thought about it, you know? That would be something that I could get a job in, I could make a living and do what I love and study something related with music, but it's not theory. Because I knew for some reason that theory would turn <laughs> turn me off from music, and I was right. I was attracted to production, so I just went with it. And I went to school for it. At what point did you actually start publishing music? I started publishing music, I think it was, in late 2008. What happened basically was, or when I finished my school, I didn't want to work in the environment that, or the system that's in place because my teachers would always share the stories and they'd laugh about it like it was funny, but it really wasn't. Because they talk about, you know, drugs and the sex and all that, the disgusting environment. And I was like, because for me, music is so beautiful, so pure. It's an act of worship, right? It's an act of love. I was disgusted. So I was like, there's no way I'm going to apply to work in a studio because I don't want to be exposed to this. And (laughs) I don't want to, whatever. 
like work on music that I'm not passionate about either. Like what if they're working on music that is, you know, degrading or sexual? Like can I live with it? And I just it was pretty obvious. I said no, there's no way. I could be involved in any way <laughs> in helping make a song like that. So what I did was when I came out of school, I saved up for my own equipment. What happened was I put together 20 grand, which is the minimum that I think anybody needs to create a basic home project studio. Um, I think 30, 30 to 50 grand would be ideal, but 20 grand you can start it off. And that's what I did. And I started experimenting with the equipment because in school they teach you a lot of theory, but they really don't, unfortunately, they didn't teach me really what I needed to know to create what I have been creating. And still I'm learning and I have so much to learn because we weren't taught the secrets. It's still kind of a secret celebrity kind of industry that even if you go to school, they're not going to teach you the secrets. Yeah, you got to have connections. So what happened was I started experimenting. I bought the stuff in 2007 and I experimented for approximately a year, making demos, making stuff and seeing how things sound. And in 2008, what happened was I went to school with another friend of mine, Kareem, and he's the rapper, if, if you've heard some of the songs that we've made. So he's a Baha'i as well, and we just started writing songs right when I came out of school with no intentions of publishing it. And we were so self-conscious, and um, we thought, or perfectionists, that we didn't release our first song for almost a year, which was Mona and Another Day, the two acoustic songs. But something happened. We were talking with Gordon Naylor, a very influential and inspiring gentleman in my life and many other people. He, he said at one, one of the firesides, which is a gathering that uh, people come together and one person, I guess, facilitates. So what happened was he said that if you're not in motion, God can't guide you. You know, doors won't open. So you have to start somewhere. And it's all a journey, right? We can't be perfect from the start. So that idea of putting it out and letting go and trying to do better next time kind of seeped into my mind. <laughs> and we let it go. We started a Facebook page, and we put those two songs on, and we started getting positive comments, which made us want to do more. So... That's how it started, 2008. What is your Facebook page? Our Facebook page is Nabil and Kareem. That's N-A-B-I-L and K-A-R-I-M. Mm -hmm. And I also have a Facebook page of my own. It's Nabilinho, or you could pronounce it the Portuguese way, Nabilinho, like Ronaldinho. And by the way, I forgot to mention... <laughs> that for those people that know Cristiano Ronaldo, he's from Madeira. So I don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing, but that's a good fact, <laughs> important uh, fact to know about Madeira. I have about four selections here. These four selections, are they from a published CD? Are they just downloads from uh, uh, Facebook? Or how? Do, how, where do these selections come from? Some of them are published and some of them haven't been published yet. Okay. So, yeah. And for the published works, you can visit 
nkindleproductions.com, which is N-K-I-N-D-L-E. And for the unpublished works, we're just going to have to wait until it gets published. Because <laughs> there's cost in like uh, printing CDs, and I just, as I create songs, I put them online, so I think I'm going to wait for a bit longer and then print out a new CD with all of the songs that we find online. Okay, so the first selection here is Create in Me a Pure Heart. Now, is Mm -hmm. that a published piece, or is that an unpublished piece at the moment? That's an unpublished piece. That was something spontaneous that happened during the fasting, during the Baha'i fasting period a few months ago, which was in March. It's something, I guess it was a gift that myself and Kelsey Balkin from the U.S., we made for the Friends for No Roots, which is the Baha'i New Year. So it's unpublished, so you can download it for free, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Can you explain uh, what the Baha'i Fast is? The Baha'i Fasting period, in my understanding, um, which is very limited, is a period where uh, we abstain from food and drink from sunrise sunset so that it reminds us of the importance of our souls, of, of feeding our souls. So I think Abdu'l-Bahar Baha'u'llah says somewhere that the mere abstention from food means nothing. So I think it's, it's meant to be a reminder, a symbol, so that we focus on spiritual growth, focus on our spirit, spiritual health focus on prayer, focus on doing good deeds. Because we can get caught up, we, we always do, right, in this fast-paced like society, like I know I do. So it's a very good time to just slow down and focus on what's really important because this life is a blink of an eye compared to the existence of our soul. And if we... You know, if we're spending so much time on our physical reality, taking a shower, sleeping for eight hours, going to the gym, pumping it for an hour a day, combing your hair, shaving, like so much, like eating, so we spend so much, so much time for our bodies in this physical world, which is only is, is only a blink of an eye in comparison to the existence of our soul. How much time are we spending for the health and the well-being and the growth of our true reality, which is our soul? Like, in, in my case, I can speak for myself. Like, I don't spend any time. Like, I'm striving every day to become more conscious and spend more time praying, serving. That's what it is. I think it's a, a reminder, a symbol, and that leads into the new year a new cycle for us to shed away the old old ways and um, addictions or whatever it may be and challenge ourselves to greater heights of conduct. So this selection, Create in Me a Pure Heart, this is from a Baha'i prayer? Uh, yes, it's from a Baha'i prayer. So this is Create in Me a Pure Heart.
The second selection is called Mona. Can you give us a little background on that selection? First of all, is it published or not published? Uh, this song is published on our first Nabil and Karim CD. It's the first song. And that's the song that we kind of um, held for a while because we didn't think it was good enough or appropriate enough. So the background is pretty simple. I ask uh, the listeners to listen to the song because... It describes the story of Mona. Mona was a 16-year-old girl, and her only dream and desire was to educate children and spread the love and carry forward an ever-advancing civilization and just to do good in the world. And she was killed, basically, for her belief in Baha'u'llah. Where was this, Nabil? This happened in Iran in Persia. 
in, I think, in the 80s, right? It was after the 1979 Islamic Revolution, right? Okay, so this piece is the story of this 16-year-old who basically was thrown in prison and executed for basically teaching Baha'i-sponsored children's classes in Iran. That's correct. So here is the selection, Mona. This song is about a girl named Mona. She was executed at the age of 16. And until the last moment, she stood strong in the face of oppression. Innocent people torn from their homes. What is this prejudice? What is this hatred? Carried in sacks and beat to the bone. How is this violence meant to be sacred? Yeah, we all gotta sacrifice, but their souls carry on in the afterlife. Their souls carry on in the afterlife. Their souls carry on in the afterlife. And among these Baha'is arose one girl. Had one dream just to change the world. They said, What could she do? Cause she's only 16. She could recognize truth that nobody had seen. She could change the world one soul at a time. Where is her freedom a gift divine? She said, Reunion is life, separation is death. That's what I. I gotta say to my last breath Go ahead, take me, take me home But don't take my family, take me alone Alright, go ahead, take us, take us all I'm gonna kiss the rope, I'm gonna raise the call She said Just take my soul away Can you free me from these chains? God, where have you She said freedom is the most brilliant word that exists in the whole world So why am I not free to exist in this community? I got dreams of liberty, but when I open up my eyes all I see is tyranny And I swear by the red in my veins that there is no love I can only see pain, I can only see the blood that'll drip like rain Only see the villains that are killing with no shame And the filling up the cemetery with all of my friends Not willing to stop, they go again and again They're coming real fast and they're coming to attack I'll sit right here, just breathe and relax Thoughts that'll make me smile Gotta close my eyes Pray for a while Cause reunion is life Separation is death That's what I gotta say To my last breath Go ahead, take me Take me home But don't take my family Take me alone Alright, go ahead Take us, take us all I'm gonna kiss the rope I'm gonna raise the call And now I'm ready to go So please set me free Please break these chains Lord, when will it be? Just take my soul song called Oh God Guide Me. Why don't you explain mm-hmm. what that one is? Um, this one is a short prayer by, I believe, by Abdul Baha. What happened was we, Karim and I, we joined Wildfire Dance Theater, and we went to none of it, the north of Canada, with a bunch of other youth to serve and to basically 
do songwriting workshops, dance workshops, and just workshops for the kids so that they could um, express themselves and we would kind of share with them our experiences and some guidance. So what happened was when we came back, we were so inspired by the stories we heard and the challenges that these children and junior youth were going through what happened was we, we wrote the verses of these songs from the point of view of a junior youth. So in the verses the junior youth or the child or the teenager is talking about their struggles, and then comes the chorus, and they're like, Oh God, guide me, protect me, make of me a shining lamp and a brilliant star. Because, you know, God ultimately suffices, you know, like, it's nice that we have, it would be nice that we would have friends and family that would support us and love us and an environment conducive to our happiness and spiritual growth and prosperity. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen all the time. Actually, most of the time, it's the opposite way. But it's important to note that Baha'u'llah says that, you know, in case all of these things fail, he alone suffices. And the strength of that connection can enable you, enable us, to rise above any circumstance or condition. At least that's what I believe. So this is, this is what, I think it's a, a song that gives hope. I love it. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> okay, so this is, Oh God, Guide Me. Star 
Make me a star, make me a lamp Ignite my heart, make it shine in this land Oh my God, my life, my desire I wanna spread love just like a wildfire Make me a star, make me a lamp Ignite my heart, make it shine in this land Oh my God, my life, my desire I wanna spread love just like a wildfire Oh God Now, the last song that we have is called Truthfulness. So why don't you give us uh, some background on that piece? Um, Truthfulness. So the reason why I put, or or I tried to put truthfulness to music, it's actually a quotation. Baha'u'llah says that truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. Without truthfulness, progress, and success, is impossible for any soul in all the worlds of God. But the reason why I chose this particular quotation was I wanted to challenge myself to put the writings to music. You're working on trying to put basically Baha'i scripture into music. Yes, that's correct. But prayers are easier to put to music because it is in the first person, it's me and you. It's kind of, kind of like a love song. So it's us speaking to God. But it's kind of different when you're trying to put a scripture that God is talking to us, to music. And it's kind of like factual, you know, like truthfulness is this and such and such. Without this, this will happen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So trying to put that to music and, and trying to stay away from cheesiness So that was kind of an experiment. And at first, it was interesting. When I listened to it, I was like, hmm, kind of cheesy. When my dad listened to it, he was like, hmm, kind of cheesy because it's (laughs) factual. It doesn't work. But interestingly enough, the more you listen to it, or the more we listen to the scriptures put to music, the more you get used to it and the more your soul craves it and you actually see that it does work. And I think that the more scriptures are put to music, the more people will become used to this. I, I don't know if it's right to say genre, but, but yeah, this type of music because I think because it's not out there, people don't even know what it should feel like or what it should sound like but anyways it was an experiment and it yeah i think it kind of worked all right yeah this is truthfulness
Truthfulness is the foundation of all the human virtues. Without truthfulness, progress and success in all the worlds of God are impossible. Impossible for any soul. Okay, so thank you for sharing those pieces with us, Nabil. What is your future projects look like? Uh, one thing we're going to do in terms of producing music, uh, myself and my friend Kareem, we're going to initiate our second album. So that should take, I don't know, six months, six months or eight months because we have full-time jobs and because we have to deal with so many other things. It takes about, I'd say a month to do one or two songs. So that's pretty crazy. So that's one musical project I'll be working on. And another exciting thing is I've been working as a social worker for the past three years and a half. And it's been amazing, uh, basically working in a group home with adults with uh, special needs. And it's been amazing. I've learned so many things you know, becoming more understanding, caring, patient, a lot of things that we can transfer to other, you know, relationships in our lives, be it being a better father, brother, son. But it's kind of like I was feeling that I need to move on. And this whole Eagle Arts camp really shifted things around and gave me a taste of what it feels like to inspire young artists and empower them. And a lot of different opportunities arose from that for private lessons for music production. So I'm going to take this, and I'm going to try to shift my full-time job from social work to teaching music production and seeing where it takes me, because I'm actually very interested to see how music and music production can be used to carry forward an ever-advancing civilization. And I think the exciting part is that there is no formula, that it'll be a journey, and as we keep doing things, and teaching and learning and working with people and studying and consulting and acting and then reflecting, we will day by day draw closer unto the vision of Baha'u'llah. So pretty exciting. So basically teaching, music, and working on some personal projects is what I hope to be doing in the very near future. <laughs> well, Nabil, thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, yeah, thank you for having me on the show. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nabil Mahadam, a music producer, composer, and performer. I'll play one more piece by Nabil after closing the program. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. 
For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org. I was on existing.